I've got the Kleenex in my pocket. We're good. Okay. Ready. Well, good morning again. Go ahead and uh, open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2 is where we're going to be. There we go. I've learned that it's Super Bowl Sunday, and, uh, you know, it's like a national holiday, apparently. Um, and I, I kind of, I don't know if it was like a warning or a threat or kind of a thing, but I received a couple, like, texts that, like, instead of being so hyped up about the Super Bowl on a Sunday, we need to be hyped up about a good point being made at a sermon. And so they were saying, have a thing of Gatorade ready to dunk onto the preacher if a good point is made. So... I'm just checking to make sure that's not actually happening today. If it does, I do prefer lemon-lime. So, just to be clear, lemon-lime, original Gatorade, please. So, we are continuing on in our Harmony of the Gospel series, written so that you may believe, in which we're taking all four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we're placing the life and ministry of Jesus in chronological order to gain this complete picture, this big overarching view of what the gospel authors want to tell us about Jesus, God in the flesh, so that we may believe in Jesus as the Son of God and have life in his name. This is our third week back in the series, and we picked back up early on in Jesus' ministry. He had recently been baptized by John and called his first disciples to follow him. And then he began teaching and preaching in Capernaum and the region of Galilee, while also doing many miracles of healing and casting out demons. In the past two weeks, we've been in Mark's gospel at the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2 looking at the events of Jesus healing a man full of leprosy and then forgiving the sins of a paralytic and healing his paralysis. In these events and this series overall, we are continually asking ourselves the question, what is this gospel account? What is Mark or Luke or Matthew or John teaching us about God and his kingdom? And we ask this question because that is how Jesus began his ministry. In Mark 1.15, Jesus proclaims, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So in the last two weeks, we have seen Jesus, God in the flesh, demonstrating that the kingdom of God has come near by showing compassion to a leper who should have been Nowhere near Jesus. And yet the leper begs him, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus doesn't shun him or tell him to back away because of the risk of Jesus becoming ceremonially unclean. Instead, Jesus does the opposite. Something that no one else had done for this man. Being filled with compassion, Jesus stretches out his hand touches the man full of leprosy, as Luke says, and tells him, I am willing, be clean. And immediately, the leper is clean. The leper has new life because of Jesus. 
and he doesn't keep quiet about it. He goes and tells everyone he can, which we see increases the popularity of Jesus. The crowds continue to get bigger and bigger and will follow him even out into the deserted places. And then last week, Jesus returns to Capernaum and word gets out that he's back. So he's in a house packed full of people. I mean, there was no way in because even the doorway was full. And we see four faith-filled men carry their completely paralyzed and faith-filled friend on a mat, not through the door, as there was zero room in the house, but instead, get him up on a roof, dig a hole through it, and then lower their paralyzed friend down right in front of Jesus. In response to this extraordinary act, Jesus one-ups them and does something even more extraordinary. He tells the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. This gets the scribes who are sitting there all riled up in their hearts, questioning, who is this man who forgives sin? And then we see Jesus, knowing their hearts, respond to them claiming the messianic title of son of man and demonstrating his authority over sin itself by telling the paralytic to get up, take his mat, and walk. And he does so in front of everyone there. And everyone is amazed. There was no doubt in their minds as to Jesus' authority as they were saying they have never seen anything like this. So Jesus is not just a great teacher or a man who can heal disease, but over and over and over again, he demonstrates and proves his authority as the Son of God, God in the flesh, who is ushering in the kingdom of God as the messianic Son of Man from Daniel 7. Leprosy stands no chance against him. Paralysis Dismissed in a few words. And even greater than these things, sin is forgiven in an instant. This is the Messiah. This is the King of Kings who has come to call everyone to repentance because the kingdom of God has come near. And today, we're going to see who this call from the King is for. As the title of the sermon says, we will learn who are the people of God's kingdom. The people of God's kingdom. So let's read our passage for this morning. Mark 2, verses 7 to 13, and then we'll pray. Thirteen to seventeen. I think I said seven to thirteen. Thirteen to seventeen. Jesus went out again beside the sea. The whole crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. Then, passing by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the toll booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he got up and followed him. While he was reclining at the table in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who were following him. When the scribes who were Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he told them, 
It is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we have this morning to come together to worship you. Lord, I pray that as we've heard from Psalm 145, as we've sung songs that praise and glorify you, that our hearts and our minds are ready to hear from your word. I pray, Lord, that you can speak to whatever you need to speak to within us, that you can correct us, that you can encourage us, whatever it is that you desire within us. I pray that your word and your spirit is just working on us this morning. Thank you that we have this time to to gather weekly to worship and praise you and to hear from your word. Father, I pray that it, it bolsters our faith, that being here together with brothers and sisters in Christ strengthens us for what the week coming has in store. And I pray ultimately out of this time, Lord, that we glorify you. Pray in your name. Amen. So, this event, Mark 2, verses 13 to 17, this calling of Levi, it's also recorded in Matthew's and Luke's Gospels. And we'll look at what they include that provides more insight into Mark's account. And yes, John is still kind of doing his own thing in his Gospel. Now, the first part of this passage goes by fairly quickly. Jesus was teaching by the sea. He calls a guy named Levi to follow him, and he gets up and follows him. And the next thing we know is that Jesus and his disciples are at Levi's house now, and they're having a feast with a bunch of tax collectors and sinners. And then another conflict arises between Jesus and the scribes, or the Pharisees. And just like the other passages from the past two weeks, I think we've seen that if you just read right through this, you probably miss the, the weightiness of what is going on. You miss the, the significance of why Mark has included this in his gospel. Like the story of the leper, for example. Yeah, Jesus healed a leper, and then the leper didn't listen to Jesus. Am I supposed to be surprised that Jesus healed a leper? Or when Jesus heals the paralytic, are we at all surprised that he's lowered through a roof? Are we as shaken up as the scribes when Jesus forgives the paralytic man of his sins? Or do we just say, yeah, 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 Jesus forgives sin. I've heard it a million times. As we read through our Bibles on our own, as we gather on Sunday mornings to hear from God's word, we must slow down and chew on the words that are in front of us. This is God's word to us. His revelation, his revealing of who he is and what he has done. And today's account is no different. These are no measly few words from Mark about Jesus calling Levi. For in calling Levi to follow him, Jesus once again throws everyone for a spin, teaching us who Jesus desires to call and have follow him. He teaches who the people of his kingdom are. I've labeled the first part of our passage, the call of the unworthy sinner. Let's read verses 13 and 14 again. It says, Jesus went out again beside the sea. 
the whole crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. Then, passing by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the toll booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he got up and followed him. So after being crammed into the packed house in Capernaum, Jesus makes his way to the Sea of Galilee to preach and to teach the crowds. Probably a little bit more roomy out there, right? And as he was going along this busy and well-traveled road, Jesus approaches a toll booth. Now these toll booths belong to tax collectors, whose job it was to collect taxes for various things, like the transportation of goods, the usage of roads and bridges, and many, many other things. And these existed because Rome would sell a tax collection franchise, so to speak, to the highest bidder in the region. And that bidder would then be responsible to collect the taxes from the area and then pay a predetermined amount back to Rome. Now, so far, nothing sounds too intimidating or too off-putting about this approaching toll booth, right? So here's where it gets interesting. Any profit that the tax collectors made on top of what they would eventually pay to Rome, they could keep for themselves. And there was no financial accountability from the Roman government to make sure that the tax collectors were being fair and accurate in their taxation. Rome just wanted their specific amount each year. So this became a very lucrative business. These toll booths and the tax collectors within them led the way to major and massive exploitation of the people by taxing them for almost anything imaginable. And this was on top of the normal taxes already established. There was a poll tax, which you paid just because you're a living human being, a land tax, and an income tax. And this toll booth was in a prime location being by the sea. It was a well-traveled road which allowed tax collectors to easily tax workers and anyone who passed by for the transportations of goods, the use of the road, or whatever else they could come up with. One thing I read said that even people's carts were taxed. Even the wheels on the cart were taxed. And if people didn't have the money to pay, the tax collectors would gladly offer them a loan at a ridiculously high interest rate. So you can begin to see why Jesus approaching this toll booth and the man inside is a big deal. Tax collectors were hated and despised. Imagine having one of these guys as your neighbor Right? You're like, I don't want to look at that guy. On top of being greedy thieves, Jewish tax collectors were seen as traitors. Their work supported the Roman Empire and the oppression that Jews faced day in and day out. It would be like living here in the U.S. and working for a foreign nation that's taken over our country. Tax collectors were the bottom of the barrel to the Jewish people. They were the scum who took their money and supported the Roman oppression of their own people. They were even considered unclean because of their profession, and they were not allowed in synagogues. In the Gospels, they serve as an example of the worst sinners in Jesus' time, which is why we see the authors of the Gospels lump tax collectors and sinners together so frequently. 
like Mark will do in the next verse in our passage today. So, Jesus is teaching to this great crowd of people. Traveling along this road by the Sea of Galilee. And then Jesus does something very interesting here. As he is passing by this toll booth, he speaks to Levi, a tax collector, and doesn't just speak to him. Jesus tells Levi to follow him. And not just like a casual, hey man, come follow me in this great crowd of people. This was an invitation from the Son of God, Levi the tax collector, asking him to be his disciple. Jesus' calling of people to follow him had already happened once before earlier on in Mark. In verses 16 to 20 of chapter 1, he calls a group of fishermen to follow him, which is once again not what we ought to expect, and, and here's why. In Jesus calling people to follow him, He's taking on the role of a rabbi and inviting students to follow and learn from him and his way of living and teaching. Typically, rabbis would select those who were well-educated and prepared for such an undertaking. But Jesus first calls some fishermen and now a tax collector to follow him. I mean, what? Like, there, there's a reason these Jewish guys had the jobs that they had. They weren't the cream of the crop who were suited to learn from a rabbi. Yet, just like the events we've covered in the past two weeks, Jesus is once again doing something so unexpected and controversial that everyone around him would be shocked. Jesus, walking right towards Levi, tells him, follow me. Imagine being Levi at that moment. He's surely heard of this man named Jesus who's been in the area teaching, preaching, healing, and performing all kinds of miracles. Jesus' popularity has exploded in the region of Galilee and has earned a reputation of healing all who come to him and teaching with an authority that hasn't been seen before. And one day, Levi is sitting in his toll booth, tax office. He hears a crowd down the road making their way towards him. He notices the crowd is getting louder and louder and will be traveling right past him. So he kind of slinks back in the booth, keeps his eyes fixed at the ground, so he doesn't have to make eye contact with any of his angry neighbors or business people he's worked with. And then he notices the noise isn't fading away. It won't move from right in front of him. So he cautiously looks up, hoping this loud crowd hasn't come to harm him, and he sees Jesus himself looking right at him. You'd think Levi would expect a harsh rebuke from this great and powerful man for the things he's done, tensing up as Jesus is about to speak to him. And then Levi hears him say, follow me. Levi must have had the wind knocked out of him after hearing that. What shock and what joy Levi must have felt. Jesus, Jesus was calling a man that was hated by everyone, a greedy traitor to his own people, to follow him. And what's Levi's response? He gets up and follows him. 
This is the call of the unworthy sinner. Levi had done absolutely nothing to earn or deserve being called by Jesus to follow him. In fact, he deserved the exact opposite, right? Yet we see here the heart of God once again, calling an unworthy sinner to follow him. And once again, we have a picture or this illustration of our salvation being played out in the lives of these people. Jesus' calling of Levi shows us that there is no one who is too far from God's grace. God is calling everyone to follow him, regardless of our past. For God forgives even the worst of sinners. He forgives tax collectors. And we are called to respond just like Levi did. And Luke's gospel gives us a bit more of what this response looks like. In Luke's account, in chapter 5, verse 28, it says, So, leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. Levi knew the cost it was to him to personally follow Jesus. It meant leaving everything behind. His career, wealth, everything. Levi is living out what Jesus would later say in Mark 8, verses 34 to 36. Jesus says, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, die, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? Levi left everything. His job wasn't something he could just come back to when he pleased. Something about Jesus compelled him to lay it all down, to lose his life and put his faith in Jesus and follow him. It was the offer of the good news of God's kingdom. To repent and believe and know that his sins are forgiven as far as the east is from the west. And Levi knew it was worth losing everything because in losing his life, he saved it. Paul describes the worth of following Jesus and losing everything else in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 9. Paul writes, But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. Everything that was a gain, all considered a loss when compared to Jesus. A certain career? Nope. Wealth? 
fame, social status, popularity? Nope. All the pleasures you could satisfy yourself with on this planet? Nope. Nothing is comparable to gaining Christ and the forgiveness of sin he offers because we have no greater need. Nothing else will satisfy our sinful and longing hearts. Do we value and treasure Jesus in this way? Do we desire him as Levi and Paul do, willing to lose it all so that we may have him? Do we consider everything else rubbish or dung in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus as our Lord? What has distracted you from the surpassing value of knowing Jesus as your Savior? What do you need to lose so that Christ is your greatest treasure? Levi left everything he had to follow Jesus and join along with his other followers. Jesus had a ragtag crew of disciples made up of fishermen and now a tax collector. Not what one would picture for a rabbi calling others to follow him. Because these were the rejects. These were the ones that didn't make the cut in the first place. And yet here they are, the disciples of God in the flesh, son of man. These men were all unworthy sinners who were called by Jesus to follow him. And Jesus' calling of Levi shows us that there is no one who is too far from God's grace. God is calling everyone to follow him, regardless of our past, because God forgives even the worst of sinners. And what Jesus knew that no one else did, that this man named Levi would one day be the man named Matthew who wrote the Gospel of Matthew. And it is this grace and forgiveness of God that is shown towards Levi or Matthew that leads to the next scene in our passage today. The celebration. Verse 15 in Mark 2 says, While he was reclining at the table in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who were following him. Our passage jumps forward to Jesus now being in Levi's house. And we know from Luke's account that this just, this just wasn't a, a simple dinner. This, according to Luke 5.29, was a grand banquet. It says Levi hosted a grand banquet for him at his house. Levi invites Jesus and his disciples over for this great feast, this celebration that reflects the grace that Jesus has shown to Levi. And not only does Levi provide this grand banquet for Jesus, Levi has all of his tax collector and sinner friends over as well. And what are these tax collectors and sinners doing? They're eating with Jesus and his disciples. Surprisingly, this is who Jesus came to proclaim the good news of the kingdom to. Tax collectors and sinners. The worst of the worst. These will be the people that make up the kingdom of God. And we see this being played out right in front of our eyes when Mark says, 
for there were many who were following him, referring back to the many tax collectors and sinners who were eating with Jesus and his disciples. And one thing I want to make clear here, in this celebration, this banquet at Levi's house in honor of Jesus, Jesus is not condoning the sin of the tax collectors and sinners eating with him. We know that in his message of God's kingdom coming near, Jesus preaches to repent and believe the good news. The tax collectors and sinners at this banquet already know who they are. There's no denying or covering up the wrongs that they've done. Jesus is not there to condone their sin, but he comes to save them from it. This meal at Levi's house was no accident for Jesus. It was another opportunity for him to offer entrance into the kingdom of God. And the other tax collectors and sinners celebrate along with Levi at this opportunity and the hope they have in Jesus and his forgiveness of sins. And many of them were following him because of it. But this group of people that Jesus is hanging out with and sharing this meal with isn't sitting right, some onlookers. Levi's celebration of Jesus is upsetting to some, which takes us to the third part of the passage, the self-righteous question. The self-righteous question. In verse 16, it says, When the scribes who were Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Like in our passage last week, there's another group of people in our passage today. And Mark describes them not just plainly as scribes as he did before. These scribes are Pharisees themselves. And we see these Pharisees are very concerned about what is occurring at Levi's house. Jesus is sharing a meal with tax collectors and sinners. Something that Pharisees would never conceive of doing. The Pharisees were known for following their strict traditions, which they imposed on top of the laws of the Old Testament. For the Pharisees, that meant living up to what their name implied, separatists. Pharisees wouldn't dare to mingle and share a meal with such sinful people as tax collectors. So they are gravely concerned when they see Jesus, the man who's attracting great crowds through his teachings and miracles, reclining at the table of a tax collector's house. How could he? Does he not know the Pharisaic traditions and laws he's violating? Does he not know how unclean he is for sharing a meal with these people? The Pharisees were full of themselves, presuming that their obedience to the law and their traditions was pleasing to God. Which leads them to ask Jesus' disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? This question just oozes with the Pharisees' self-righteousness. In their hard hearts, they wouldn't dare associate with such sinners. And now that the Pharisees have revealed their heart towards sinners with this self-righteous question, we come to the final part of our passage today the gospel answer. In verse 17, Mark writes, When Jesus heard this, he told them, 
It is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus overhears the Pharisees questioning his disciples. And in Luke's account, we see that this is not just some innocent questioning, but it's questioning from a critical heart. Luke 5 verse 30 says, the Pharisees were complaining to his disciples. And just like last week, Jesus is going to confront and address the Pharisees. Jesus begins by quoting a well-known, well-known proverb of the time, stating, it's not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Which implies that a doctor spends his time with sick people. That's his job. That is who he is with while he's working. And then Jesus goes on to connect the dots for the Pharisees, stating, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus, like a doctor, has come to care for the spiritually sick. This is the gospel answer to their self-righteous question. And this exposes two things with the Pharisees. First, it exposes their lack of compassion towards those who are obviously spiritually sick, tax collectors and sinners. It calls them out on being the quote-unquote spiritual leaders in their community. And yet they aren't even willing to associate with people who have the greatest spiritual need. This ties in well with Matthew's or Levi's recording of this event in Matthew 9.13, in which Jesus says to the complaining Pharisees, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. The Pharisees may have done great in following their religious rules of keeping their distance from sinners to uphold their traditions. But within their hearts was a lack of mercy. Their hearts were just as hard as any other sinner. They just looked like they had it all figured out on the outside. But Jesus saw right through them. Which leads to the second thing that Jesus exposes with the Pharisees when he says the sick need a doctor. The Pharisees were blind to their own need for Jesus as their Savior. They viewed themselves as righteous before God because of their outward religious expressions, their sacrifices, right? Which leads to Jesus' final statement in our passage. He didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. What Jesus is communicating here is not that there are actual righteous people who don't need Jesus, but there are people who view themselves as righteous, like the Pharisees, who will see no need for Jesus. And these people, as long as they hold on to their false belief of self-righteousness, will not be part of God's kingdom. Jesus has come to call those who are sick, those who are sinners and know they need a savior, like Levi the tax collector, like the fishermen Peter and Andrew, James and John, like you and me. Jesus has not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Levi, or Matthew, describes who these sinners are in his gospel, what these people who make up God's kingdom looks like. In the beginning of chapter 5, verses 3 to 9, Matthew writes, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, 
for they will be comforted. Blessed are those are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. This doesn't sound like the Pharisees, right? And yet they believed they were in good standing with God. The kingdom of God belongs to those such as this. Those who are poor in spirit, who are humble, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who are merciful and pure in heart. Those who are sinners in need of a Savior. The calling of Levi shows us that no one is too far gone from God's grace and forgiveness. And whenever someone does follow Jesus, we better celebrate and rejoice in the new life that they have. And not only do we celebrate and rejoice in people following Christ, but we should carry on this good news of God's kingdom to everyone we know. No one is too far from God's grace because we know that, peop- that the people of God's kingdom are sinners in need of a Savior. Mark wanted to show his readers that Jesus was a man on a mission. Early on, Jesus stated his mission was to preach that the kingdom of God has come near, to repent and believe the good news. Jesus has been demonstrating who this kingdom is for in these different interactions he's had with these people. And now he states it clearly, he has not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And it was Jesus' mission to bring the good news of his kingdom to every sinner he could find. And Levi understood that mission right away. We should as well. Who do we need to include in our lives to share this good news with? Who do you need to reach out to that you may have thought is too far gone? I know we all have those people in our lives. I know I do. But we need to remember, no one is too far gone from the grace of God. He's come to call the sick. May we worship the Lord gladly and go from this place remembering what Charles Spurgeon said about this. The first link between my soul and Christ is not my goodness, but my badness. Not my merit, but my misery. Not my standing, but my falling. Not my riches, but my need. These are the people of God's kingdom. Let's stand together and pray. God, I thank you for the love that you have first shown us. That while we were doing our own thing, while we were gone astray, while we were dead in sin, you called us. We have new life in you, God. You've come to call not the righteous, but sinners. Lord, and we, we rejoice over these things. This great news of your kingdom coming near. That we have a hope that is imperishable. 
salvation that is eternally secure because you took care of it. Father, I pray this morning as we think through the calling of Levi, that we think through the people in our lives that are too far gone, that maybe we truly hate, don't like, don't want to be around. Lord, may you show us the love you have for them. And may we love them as you love them. May we share this good news, this surpassing value of knowing you as our Lord and Savior with this world that's still lost in darkness. God, I pray that we can just rejoice, celebrate, and sing to you this morning because of what you've first done for us. Pray in your name. Amen.